Welcome back to the Montgomery Company's podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. Today I'm hanging out with my new friend, Mr. Clay Scroggins. Shout out Brad Lominick for connecting us. Um, this guy, I told him if he does not continue his work as a speaker and author, he's going to be a comedian, lighthearted, fun, super easy to speak to and get along with. And it's part of the reason he's been so impactful with so many people across our country. Former pastor, went out on his own. He's a speaker, author, thought leader, and uh, the author of three books, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, How to Lead in a World of Distraction, and the Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future, which we're going to spend some time on today. Clay, you've got five children. You're married to Jenny, Atlanta, Georgia. Come on. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being with us. Hey, Jordan. Thanks, man. I'm grateful to... I'm glad to be on the podcast. More grateful to get to meet you, so... Well, this uh, is fun, man. Second We're, shout out, Brad you're, Dominic. You're going to, you're going to, yeah, that's right. You're going to help a bunch of people today. Um, so just want to say thanks in advance for the conversation. Your content, especially if you're an emerging leader and you're listening, you're trying to expand your influence. Um, you know, maybe you're a, you're a, the first five, 10 years of your sort of vocational life. Clay's going to hit you right between the eyes. Um, and that said, I think if you're a veteran leader and you're on uh, today's episode, listening to Clay, I think you're going to get a lot of value out of this as well. Hey, Clay, I'm going to put you on the spot. So just so our audience knows, I did not prep you for this question. Um, here we go. What is one thing most people would be surprised to know about Clay Scroggins? Uh, I grew up um, in a community where, uh, and around people, I don't know why, just ever since I was probably sixth grade, my bus driver had this mixtape of nothing but like, all the latest rap jams. So I'm a big rap hip hop fan, despite the fact that I am so and look so white. So <laughs> really love uh, living in Atlanta, obviously big outcast yeah. fan. Um, Jay-Z came to uh, our arena last year, went and saw Jay-Z. The dude stood by himself on a stage for like an hour and a half band was all like hidden like underneath it's just him with a microphone and it was inspiring to watch um anyway so talented yeah so talented all right. well maybe if you can rip some bars for us before you know we like end the show that i do like the rap but i don't really great. dabble in it. i try to not dabble <laughs> in it myself <laughs> that's fair i'd rather have you talk about leadership than you know well rap thank force. you I feel more comfortable. Uh, you're good at that you're good at that and hey, that, that's where I want to take our conversation, man. You're, you're again, you're, you're a, a, I think, a blessing and a light to a lot of emerging leaders, especially. In fact, you wrote this book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge, forwards written by Andy Stanley. Great content for emerging leaders. I'm just going to suggest that if you haven't read that book, you're listening to the episode today, go download it on Amazon. Uh, one of my favorite. Um, and then you wrote this new book, The Aspiring Leader's Guide to the Future. And you've got sort of these leadership axioms of listening to you talk about these axioms. Um, and our audience needs to hear this. I want to talk about this this idea that you don't have to know it all to start leading. Tell us more. Well, let me just back up one second and say, if you, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, I think you ought to be thinking about the future of leadership. You you probably already are if you're listening to this podcast, but clearly uh, the future of leadership is gonna is different. I mean, the way that the just the simple I you know that. One of the things I typically start with, Jordan, when I'm just talking to a crowd about this topic is I'll just open it up and say, hey, how do you see your job differently than how your parents' generation saw their job? 
And did, did, did your parents work in the same job for 30, 40 years? They did. That's right. Yeah. Mine as well. Uh, my mom was a teacher. My dad was in sales. Uh, same school, same company, same grade, you know, for 30, 40 years. And that was just the way that generation did it. And they saw their job as it was just, you know, most people when I ask the crowd this, they'll say, uh, you know, my parents just saw their job as, you know, you clock in, you clock out. That's just what you do. But they didn't, uh, the idea of being, finding purpose in your job, feeling fulfilled by your job. Uh, it's really that highest uh, part of the pyramid of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, they were just taking care of food, shelter, clothing. If you liked your job, that was cherry on top. Um, I remember talking to somebody that's, you know, worked for the organization that I worked for for a long time. He's in his late sixties. And I was telling him that, you know, he said, man, these young people, like, I don't know why they care so much about, do they like their job? Do they feel fulfilled in their job? Um, he was like, if you have a job, that's all that matters. And if you like it, that's just, you know, that's extra points. But our generation, particularly, you know, I'm 42. How old are you? 35. 35. So, I mean, you know, anybody our age and younger, they, they want meaning in their job. They want community in their job. They want to, they want to use their gift set and skill, you know, skills in their job. And that just wasn't a thing 20, 30 years ago. So that, that change alone is a significant change. Obviously the connectivity that the internet has provided, the blurred lines between home and work. I mean, there's so many different, the amount of information that we have so many different distinctives between the way the world is changing. So I set out to try to write about that. And the first thing I bumped into was exactly what you said, that there was a day where you felt like you had to have this certain level of knowledge to be, to, to feel like a leader. And, and, and we just assumed, Oh, well, I want people to recognize me as a leader. So I've got to have this level of knowledge and it is just impossible to stay up with everything. It is impossible mm. to stay on top of everything because of the amount of information that's coming out. Technology alone, you can't stay up with. I mean, it just the constant updates and upgrades and, and you know, inventions, the software that's going to be, you know, change the world in five years is, hasn't even been invented yet and or hasn't even been created yet. And we've got to adapt. That we, I think we've got to be willing to admit that, okay, I've got to know some things. I don't want to discount knowledge is important, but I'm never going to get to the point where I know enough to feel like I'm competent enough in front of other people. I mean, I, I would assume doing what you do, you had to get there, right? Because you're coaching people who are probably older than you. And is that, do you yeah. feel that? Yeah, I feel that for sure. I, I think, you know, first off that the, the humble spirit uh, or having a humble spirit and bringing that to your your communication, your your leadership styles, your relationships, I think is everything. And I think, you know, Adam Grant wrote this book called Think Again, subtitle, you know, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. And we always suggest that leaders read that book, right? Because this paradox of education, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. And that's really yes. at the heart of what you're getting to is, man, for leaders to humble themselves to say, um, actually, I don't know is attractive. Like that statement is really attractive. And and I've heard you, you know, pontificate upon that. Um, so take us, take us deeper because you, you write about this, speak about this. Um, and I think our thoughts are aligned on this topic, especially. Um, could you, could you maybe go deeper there on that sort of axiom? Yeah, I, I mean, that, that's, that little phrase seems 
it's a pretty simple phrase, but I think every leader that is wanting, desiring, aspiring to lead in the future has got to have that on the tip of their tongue. There was a day where we felt like we had to hide that. I think there's a section of uh, something I used from the authors of Freakonomics where they talk about, you know, even in, you know, when you go get your, your MBA, which I do not have my MBA, so I don't know what that would be like, but when you're having to defend case studies or trying to prove case studies, everything about it is trying to make yourself seem like you know what you're talking about. Uh, they talk about that almost part of the education is learning how to, you know, learning how to make it sound like you know what you're saying, even when you, particularly when you don't. And so we, we kind of, um, as a leader, you just feel like, oh, that's part of what I'm supposed to know how to do is sound like I'm impressive, sound like I know what I'm talking about. And, you know, not only is there just too much information to keep up with, but I think what we desire as humans is changing, that we all, we've seen too much. We've all seen more than we wanted to see. You know, there's a video camera everywhere. Uh, More leaders that we look up to have fallen. You know, a lot of people would say, you know, I don't have any heroes anymore. And so it's just real easy to disprove anything. It's real easy to fact check. It's real easy to watch a YouTube video and feel like an expert. My kids read a Wikipedia article and feel like they know everything there is to know about a certain subject. (laughs) And so even that, the skepticism, that has created this new desire in us to go, I want, I want to follow somebody. I'm not going to be willing to be led by somebody who I find out is faking it. If I find out that you really don't know and you're acting like you do know, uh, that's really going to take the legs out from under you. It's going to really cause me to distrust you. And so learning how to, you're right, learning how to be humble enough to say, to admit when you don't know, it's not just something, oh, we got to learn how to do that. No, no. It is essential if you're going to build trust, rapport, authenticity. Uh, if you're going to have influence with people in the future, you've got to be willing to say, ready to say, quick to say, uh, you know what? I don't know. And let's figure that out together. The thing I like most about it is it provides an invitation. It invites the, uh, yes. it invites the team in. And I, th- there is, to me in the workplace, there is not much more compelling than an invitation, which, I mean, you, you're, you guys have 16 employees. Clearly you have, offered that to those men and women to say, Hey, we're working on something big. We don't have everything we need because we're fallen flawed people who've got strengths and some weaknesses. And we need you to bring the best of you and help us figure this out together. That is, I think what's compelling. It's always been compelling, but it's even more compelling. Uh, It is going to be even more compelling in the future. I've heard, I've heard you mention that before that I don't know is an invitation. I love that, man. It's, it is. It's it's about confident humility, you know. And when I was a young salesperson, I had a um, a mentor. He would tell me. He would say this all the time. He'd say, "Don't let them see you sweat." Yeah, yeah. You know. And yeah. I'm like, man, what terrible advice. Like, yeah. People should see us sweat. You know, people people should see that we have weakness and, um, yeah, we have we have work to do. I think Craig Rochelle said it best. You know, people can be impressed with their strengths, but they connect to you through your weaknesses, which is a great yeah. segue to another one of your axioms that the strongest leaders lead with vulnerability. And man, I'd love for you to elaborate on this. I completely agree with you. Um, there's some some leaders that will be enlightened by what Clay is about to 
about to share, man. Tell tell us about this this axiom. Well, the the story that um that I use to explain this, the, the the moment where I was like, man, that is just so different about the future. Um, uh, you know, during 2020, as soon as the you know everything shuts down, everybody started a podcast, everybody was calling as many people as they knew to try to line up interviews, you know, because what else are we gonna do? Um, actually the room I'm sitting in right now, this little like uh loft room that we have that kids end up playing in and there's all kinds of stuff and toys on the floor and stuff. I sat up here for months and I reached out to every, you know, uh, Kevin Bacon, seven degrees of separation. Like who could, who do I know that knows anybody that would be interesting to talk? So uh, I reach out to somebody who I knew um, had a relationship with a gal named Angela Arents. She was, uh, she was the CEO of Burberry at one time and uh, left that job to become the senior VP of retail for a little technology company called Apple. And I mean, just, you know, just hearing that, I mean, I'm sure this is one of the things that you enjoy about doing podcasts is it forces you to talk to people that, you you know, like this. I mean, you and I have a lot of similar people that we know, have a lot of connections, but we wouldn't have met unless it were for this podcast. So I'm really grateful that the Montgomery companies do this. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm talking to her and she's telling me, you know, about that job. And I said, hey, can we stop for a second? What was that like? You know, so Tim Cook calls you and says, come work for me. I mean, please tell not only that, but she was the um, she was coming on to their executive team as the only female on the executive team, and I'm like, mm. we like again, can we turn the recorder off? Like, what was that like? Like, I mean, anyway, fascinating person, such a boss of a leader, and mm. we're talking about this idea of how, hey, what are some things that are different about the future of leadership? And she said she she brought up vulnerability and just how it is such a. Um, it is, there was once a day where it was a turnoff. I mean, the idea of vulnerability is I'm giving you the gun. I'm giving you the ability to hurt me. I'm giving you information that you could actually use against me. And so the very um, thought of it creates fear in us thinking like, ah, I don't know that I want to do that because that's, you know, it's putting me in a risky position. So we're talking about that concept. And I said, well, give me an example of the time when you experienced it. She said, first few months I'm at Apple, I'm sending it. She said, I, you know, 300 thousand retail associates that I was trying to unite. I was like, yeah, oh, that seems easy. Right. I mean, what, what do you do right. to do that? You know, right. put them in the same t-shirt that doesn't exactly do it. So, um, right. she said, I sent out this little video every week called three points in three minutes, which just for those of you looking for like just simple little, uh, hacks. I mean, that's a great, those of you that have a, you know, midsize, even smaller, but particularly large organization or a large team, I think that's a great idea to do. And she said, I would just do whatever was on my mind. I mean, it could be simple. It could be profound. It could be something we're working on, something that's happening in life. Three points in three minutes. Here's three things we got to think about it. But she said the whole point of it was I was just wanting them to get to know me. And I was wanting to have some kind of platform of communication with these associates. So she said, um, we're recording one of the first few and my phone rings and it's my daughter who uh, because they had moved from London, her daughter was still in college in London. She's on the West Coast at this point. And so she said, hang on one second, answers the phone, says, hey, I'm shooting this video, but I cannot wait to catch up. I'll call you right back as soon as it's over. Hangs up. She tells the things like, all right, let's just keep it going. I got it. She finishes up the video. They're breaking down the equipment. She says, hey, um, when you edit that, keep the phone call in. I want to send it out just like that. And she said, there was just something in me that felt like 
I want to send it out like that. I want it to feel real, which, I, you know, I'm sitting there going, Angela, this is, um, you know, you're not doing this for Allstate. You know, you're doing this for Apple, you know, like right. they, they right. created the software to edit that video. Like they can handle that. And she said the next morning she wakes up and had hundreds of emails, responses in her inbox of men and women who work in their stores saying, thank you, thank you, thank you for showing us that, yes, you're trying to bring your best to work, but you're a mom and you're trying to bring your best to your daughter as well. And we are too. We're dads and we're moms and we're sons and we're daughters. And yes, we care deeply about what we're working on, but we also care deeply about that aspect of our life as well. Thank you for showing us that that's important to you as well. And so that vulnerability, I think, you know, above the work-life balance conversation that that brings up, I think the vulnerability that she displayed is something that is clearly attractive for the future. Uh, we just, we don't want perfect. We want real. We want genuine. And so I would just say, if you're, you know, wh whatever you're doing to lead today, whether you're leading a meeting, whether you're in the meeting, whether you're presenting something or making calls with clients or potential calls for people that you hope will be clients. I would just say, you know, make yourself do something to lead with something that doesn't make you look great. People can be jealous all they want of your Instagram, but when it, I mean, make, make your Instagram so good that it makes everyone hyper insecure about their life because that's pretty much what everyone else is doing. But when it comes to real life, try it today. Just be real. Tell them about your kid throwing the tantrum. Tell them about the argument that you and your wife just got in. Tell them about the call where you just fell flat on your face, about the college students that I spoke to last year where I left my pants unzipped driving home. <laughs> and the guy said, hey, bro, did anybody ever tell you? I looked down, they're still unzipped. It's like an hour after the event. <laughs> so whatever it is, just try, try leading with that and see what it does. I mean, you said it, you know, or I guess you were quoting Craig, but it, it, it's amazing how it just it changes the nature of the conversation. It, it, it invites other, it invites others to be vulnerable as well. And it takes the relationship yeah. to a depth that it just wouldn't have gone to otherwise. Yeah. And especially in today's world, right. In a world where things are so artificial and can feel so fake and manufactured. And I think there's this idea that vulnerability begets vulnerability, you know, like you create a space That's for right. others to be vulnerable. And like, I just think about even this conversation, maybe you're listening, you're not watching, but you're listening so just so you know, Clay, since I've been talking to him, has confessed that there's toys at his feet <laughs> and, <laughs> and you had a you had a dog on your lap. And then off air, you're talking about like some of these things that you're working on and trying to figure out. And like, so in light of all of your success and all the cool things that you've done and accomplished, like you're not leading with that. And I think that's part of what's made you a really attractive leader to follow. You're most effective when you're most authentic. Uh, yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. I'm curious for you. I mean, this is one of the follow-up questions I get a lot. So let me just be selfish and flip this around for one second. So you're leading a company. So people want to know, all right, Jordan's got it together. Like we, we've chosen to work here. Like we're going to make payroll, right? I mean, this guy's not like an idiot that's going to run things off the, you know, off the rails. How did, what, what's, what, what would you say is too far? How do you, how would you advise someone on, uh, hey, I think you might've shared a little too much, or I think um, you might've taken that a little too far. What, what, what do you say? Yeah, cause there's a, cause there's a wrong way, right? 
That's I think right. Oversharing. You have to, yeah. Sure. And you have to assess the motive, right? So the most That's basic, good. you know, thing that we might address is just that, you know, is it really, is it you focused or is it others focused? Like, is your intent to really help people and impact people? Or is it like, I want to make myself look a certain way. Um, and as simple as that sounds, I think, I think there's all, there's been times for all of us probably, right? Where the motive is not real pure. It's maybe more me focused. Yeah. So number one is maybe just check your, check your motive. But number two is, um, can you share in a way that, that no longer affects your current identity when you're sharing something bigger, important, right? So like you were sharing about, you know, job transition earlier. And I don't know that that was ever, you know, big enough where it was really like this, like a hard thing for you. For me, um, I got fired from a, from a job and it was really hard, devastating. It was very public. Um, and I just, that, that experience was, it was hard to talk about. Um, and, and the reality is if I would have tried to talk about it too soon, it was, it was affecting my identity to the point where it would have been really awkward to talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe Brene Brown said it, she said, you know, you're ready to share the story when it no longer affects your current identity. Uh, and so if there's something you've been through, like if you're sharing something big, um, I think that's a good barometer is, is it still affecting your current identity? Like, are you still, or are you on the other side of that? And if you feel like, Hey, I'm on the other side of that, I can talk about this in a way that isn't affecting my current identity. That's a good barometer. The other one would be, is it, is it me focused or is it others focused and just check good. your motive? Um, yeah. I anything, mean, anything you would add to that? Well, an example of that would be, uh, you know, it's one thing to say me and my wife got in an argument. My wife and I are in a great spot in our relationship. It would be okay for me to talk about an argument. It would probably not be real healthy to be, you know, for me to roll in and be like, oh my gosh, we got in the biggest fight and I haven't seen her in a week. You know, like, <laughs> that's, that's like, whoa, is everyone like, in the middle should of you it. Be, Yeah. Should you yeah. be doing this podcast right now? Like, I feel like you ought to go take care of that. Right. Yes. So, yes. yeah, I think that's a, um, you know, but then, but, oh, you know, but to say, yeah, a couple of years ago, I went through a really hard divorce and I'm happy to talk about it because exactly that I like that concept of it's not, it's no longer affecting my identity. That's a great, yeah. that's a really healthy way to put it. Yeah. Mo motive, motive and timing, you know, I think motive and timing are important. Um, okay. I want to get to this one. This is maybe what I'm most excited to talk to you about. Talk about this idea of establishing trust. You know, we've always said trust is given mistrust is earned. You spend a lot of time on what it looks like for leaders to establish trust. If you want to have trust, you got to give trust. And um, again, what you're about to talk about and share here is really powerful. I've heard you talk before, so I kind of have an inside window, but some of our, some of our listeners haven't, Clay. So let's go deeper here. Well, everybody wants to work in an environment that is filled with trust. Uh, Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team. It's amazing. I know you've had him on the, the pod. I've got a couple friends that work with him and um, I mean, all of his stuff sells pretty well, but nothing sells like the five dysfunctions of a team. I mean, that book still, I don't, I don't know that it's necessarily like five love languages good, you know, but um, it sells really, really well. And the first, you know, that first dysfunction is the lack of trust we all know what it's like to work for someone who doesn't trust you. And we know what it's like to work at a place where you don't trust the leadership. And it's just, it is next to impossible for that to last long. It will eventually not work because trust is the, is the ingredient in all relationships that make the relationship really work. I mean, and, and it, you know, the nice thing is it can be tr transferred. I mean, I, 
you know, I'm here today because this mutual friend of ours said, oh, you're going to love Jordan. And I trust Brad. I know that he, you know, is such a legitimately great person. And so even that alone is, it's so powerful when somebody that you really believe tells you something, obviously. And then someone that you don't trust, obviously it just, it's almost impossible to have a relationship with them. So you think about in a work context, you know, the, I mean, the majority of people are still going to work every day. The, the, the hybrid work from home concept is uh, a reality for a lot of people, but the majority of the workforce is still going to an office. But there is a significant portion of the workplace that is going, man, I got to figure how do we now create uh, the kind of culture that we want when we don't see each other, except when we click the Zoom link or when we you know, click the Teams link. That's a big conversation. I think in 2020, that forced all of us to really, it was almost like a, um, it was like a level check on trust in the relationship because all of a sudden, those of us that, you know, grew up or learn how to manage others in a see them every, you know, five days a week from nine to five kind of context, it just really checked all the relationships to go, what are we, because you could have, you know, and some people did cheat it, you know, but for the most part, most people were like, no, there's trust in the relationship and we can handle it. So I think that um, that's really where I, from, you know, started to think about, okay, this is different. This is the future of how we handle trust is just going to be different. I do think that we have to, uh, the concept of innocent until proven guilty is really the way we ought to approach trust, that we've got to give it before it's even earned. And this is both ways. This is if you manage people, if there are people on other teams in your organization, but it's also when it comes to you and the employer that you work for, that when you say yes to that job, I think the best way to create trust is to immediately going into it, go, all right, I'm trusting these people that they are going to do what they say they're going to do, that they're going to be who they said they were going to be. And of course, that doesn't mean that when it doesn't happen, that we just go, you know, oh, I got burnt again. No, no, you, you, there's a way to go and approach that person. There's a way to go and have that conversation of, hey, I want to suspend my judgment. I want to try to understand more. I want to ask a lot of questions, but I want to seek to clarify because some, my expectations were not met. Mm. There was a, there was a massive gap or a small gap between what I thought was going to happen and what actually happened. And whenever that is, instead of filling that gap with, oh, here they go again, or you got to be kidding me, millennials, I can't believe, or Gen Z, you know, that's what everybody wants to do now. No, we got to go, no, let me try to insert trust there. And then when I can't do that anymore, um, I'm going to go follow up and I'm going to seek clarification. That is, um, again, it's one of those that has always been true, but it, it will be more true of the future. It is an essential for those that are wanting to lead mm. in the future. It's mm. just different than it once was. Well, this it brings us to a perfect point because I would love to, I can't uh, wrap up this call with you without talking about how to lead when you're not in charge, which is um, a talk that you're, that you're giving a lot, but it's also a book that you've written. It's really powerful. Um, before we go there, just to, to wrap that point, you know, when you talk about trusting the people that you're, you're following, I think there is sort of a sort of a blind faith that's really attractive. And in, in I would love to spend more time with you on this, Clay. Uh, Mark Cole, a mutual friend of ours, said this in, in 
sort of following John Maxwell and, and growing his influence with John, he said this to me the other day, make a, make a leader's agenda, your agenda for a season. And I love that. If, if you're a young leader listening and you're thinking about what does trust look like? Like be willing to trust someone, assuming that they have, you know, strong values yep. and morals so much so that you're saying, you know what? I, I will trust you and I will serve you. I'll actually make your agenda, my agenda for a season. And I think, man, that's such a ticket to influence relationship opportunity. And again, you're doing it with the spirit of service. It's not about what you get, but you're really there to serve. Um, I think that's Can probably I say a decent, that? Can yeah, I say yeah, that I'm slightly different? I would also, Please. I would, I would say figuring out what your boss is most anxious about is mm. essential. Trying to figure out mm. what's waking her up in the morning, what's keeping her up at night, whatever that is ought to be what's toward the top of your list of things that you're working on, things that you're caring about. And I love that idea of just spending a season of time. This is not forever, right? But where if, if you're in a spot right now where you're working for someone this is a muscle that you got to develop. It's something that you got to teach yourself how to do and you will use it later. It will come to fruition later. Uh, there will be a point in time where you will find out whether or not you learn this lesson, but learning it now in this season is so important to go, all right, right now, I mean, you know, I see a bunch of other things going on, but if that's what's most important to my boss, I'm going to make that most important to me. And you're, you're right. There's a lot of trust involved with that. Well, there, there is, and there's a lot of trust in, um, in leading up. And, and you wrote this book, How to Lead When You're Not in Charge. Maybe we should have started here, actually, Clay. Maybe we should just go back and, because this is, this is where I know, um, man, you're really potent. You're potent in a lot of areas, but working with emerging, uh, emerging leaders on leading up, how to lead when you're not in charge. Um, I'd just love for you to riff on this. If, if, you know, what advice would you give to young leaders listening that, they're not in charge, but they, they want to impact people. They want to grow in their influence. Tell us what's most important. People, uh, we all grow up believing that leadership is authority. It's just so common for us to do that because we see the teacher, the bus driver, the coach, the principal, the pastor, the whoever has the position has the power. And, and the power is how we see leadership. We just see it as, oh, you got the position. You must be the leader. And over time, we all go through that season or uh, cycle of disillusionment where we go, oh, the person in charge is not actually leading very well. And that aha happened too late for me. It, it, not too late, like it was expired, but I wish it would have happened sooner. And for some of you, it's already happened. And maybe for others of you, maybe this would help that happen. But the, the sooner we can realize, oh, leadership's not about position. It's not about titles, not about authority. It's not about being in charge because you can be in charge and not lead well, and you cannot be in charge and change the world as some people have done. And so once we can get that and go, okay, well, if it really is not about authority, then what is it about? Clearly, you know, not, maybe not clearly, but I think I like that simple definition that leadership is influence. It's the ability to move people, the ability to get people to do what they might not want to do to accomplish what they want to accomplish. If you're in sales, you're doing it. If you got people that work in other departments that you've got to influence, if you're in quality control, you've got to do it. If you work for a central organization that's got people out in the field doing things who they do not answer to you, but you need them to pay attention to what you're talking about, you got to figure out how to do this. And so, so many men and women are waking up today going, man, I got to figure out how can I be a better leader, even though I don't have all the power that I want to have. I think the subtitle of the book was um, 
leveraging influence when you lack authority. Uh, I, I, I think the publisher yeah. wrote that line. I love that line that you're, yeah. which we're all trying to so figure out how do we leverage influence when we lack authority. And the sooner you can do that, the sooner you can learn how to do that, the better leader you'll be when you're not in charge, but the better leader you'll also be when you are in charge. And so the book's really about, all right, well, what do I need to do? It was really kind of, you know, uh, somebody on Amazon gave it like a real low rating and said, this is a memoir. And when they said that, I was like, well, they're not wrong. Like it, it was kind of a <laughs> memoir because it was, I mean, I was just writing from my journey of going, all right, what do I need to do to become a better leader, even though I don't have all the authority that I really want or think that I need to become the leader that I want to be. And so I, for me, wrote down these four things. I got to lead myself well. I've got to choose positivity. I've got to think critically and I've got to reject passivity. And those are the, um, if I don't do these, I'm not going to be able to cultivate influence, but you might have different ones. I would just say, whatever the answer to the question of what do you need to do to cultivate more influence? That's something that ought to be on the top of your list of things that you're focusing on. As you think about how to lead yourself well, what do you need to do to cultivate more influence? Everything you do is either cultivating influence or costing you influence. Mm. But what do you need to do to cultivate more? And if you can do more of that, man, you'll just be such a better leader whether you have authority or not. And that was my hope in writing it was that somebody could be dropped into any organization at any point in time at any level and they could get something done. They could move something forward. I mean, how amazing would that be if we had that ability, that skill, that amount of influence? And it's possible. That's the great news is it really yeah. is possible. Amen. Amen. Well, bro, bro we, we chop up a little three, four minute clip in every episode and share it, you know, on social media. And that was it. There it was. The, you know, how to lead when you're not in charge leveraging influence when you don't have authority. Uh, man, you were like a, you were like a gold mine of wisdom and knowledge um, well, on the topic you. of, the topic of leadership. And, and here's what, here's what I love, man, in light of your success. I mean, just, if you're listening, know this about Clay. I didn't, I didn't say this. Clay, Clay's responsible for putting together some of the largest leadership events, like literally in the world and has written books and is now speaking and has walked with giants and learned from giants and is now teaching giants um, on this on this topic of leadership, and here you are investing your time with our community. So, man, I just want to say thanks from the bottom of my heart. Um, where can people find Clay Scroggins? Well, uh, ClayScroggins.com. I'm on social media, LinkedIn. Um, my email is clay.scroggins at gmail.com. I check that. It's my personal email. So, if you got thoughts, questions, ideas, conversation, hit me up. Um, would love to be connected and stay connected. And uh, I just, again, you, you got a certain amount of light, a certain amount of spotlight. And for you to spend your spotlight, take, take up wow. some of your time shining it on me. I'm just really, really grateful. So thank you for having me, Jordan. Well, it's been an honor, man. Enjoyed this um, immensely. And we're going we're gonna to run it back, man. We'll have some more conversations. want to include you in stuff that we're doing and maintain a friendship over time. So uh, I got better. Our community got better. We're going to link all those uh, sites and uh, also Clay's social media handles in the show notes. Um, this has been real, man. I've enjoyed it so much. And uh, talk too. to you again real soon. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. 
This has been another episode of the Montgomery Companies Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Montgomery. I want to say thanks also to John Choate and James Roth of Storyline Multimedia for all of the work that they do behind the scenes to make this episode go. If you enjoy listening to this show, if you're somebody who tunes in once in a while to our podcast, we'd love it if you'd officially subscribe so that we could move our mission of impact forward. This podcast is designed to help the leader go farther faster. We hope you've done that today. Be well, be great. Have a wonderful day.